0: hello everybody welcome to the leftology podcast uh today it's host uh, cameron and patrick um and welcoming back our guest joe Shepard from united rural democrats yeah, he's uh experiencing a little lag if it just if like the audio cuts out on the spotify or apple music version um but i guess how's it going is probably the first question i'm gonna ask
1: well, I'm pretty tired. I just got back from a two-week-long tour of the Western U.S. And uh, with regard to the lag, you got to love that Iowa broadband. So I'm doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, with your journey to the West Coast, that leads into the first question I uh, sent you, which was kind of – oh, wait, no, the second question. I'm, I'm skipping with myself. Um, just for the people who have not listened to our fifth episode, just kind of go back over the goals and objectives of the United Rural Democrats.
1: For sure. So I've run a couple of campaigns myself in Iowa and Wisconsin. And um, quite frankly, I saw that a lot of people felt left out and left behind. And through my kind of running these campaigns, I learned that also a lot of the powers that be don't really know how to handle the situation, I'll put it nicely. And um, so we're hoping just to kind of get out there and show that, you know, ultimately, these communities are worth fighting for. And- you know, kind of go from there. Now, obviously, there's many ways we can debate how we can revitalize these communities. All these different things. I believe, in my station in life, with the resources I have and the skill sets I have, the best way I can help is by you know potentially assisting and electing new, you know, state legislators, county commissioners, local things who can actually make a direct difference in people's lives. I mean, Congress is pretty cool, but like the in, the impact a member of Congress has on your life. Is often infinitesimally less than your state legislator or whatever, and also, pardon my language, the craziest shit right now is coming out of state legislators because Congress is so deadlocked.
0: Oh, oh yeah, I know. We've we've gone over some state legislator stuff in the past uh, few episodes. Um, so I, I'm not—I don't remember if we talked about this last episode because I believe we recorded it like a week or two after the uh, election was over, but uh, oh. But like, there's just like a bunch of campaigns. You get to your general election and it's like local blah, blah, blah. The guy, the I think it's, the, I forget the position name, but it's like the only person in the county you can arrest the sheriff. And then a bunch of those positions, it's just one guy. It's either Republican or independent and there's like nine of them. You can't vote. Mm-hmm. You don't get a choice. You don't even get the, uh, please don't give me this vote. You just got to check the mark and then submit. Yep. So it, it's like, are you trying to like, get more people out to be like hey all these uh smaller positions are either going to be filled by republicans uh so please run
1: i mean in time yes i think um, you know our main focus right now is organizing because that's where our strength lies but as we develop our kind of network on the ground yes that is absolutely something we have to do because i mean it's not really about republicans or democrats it's a lot about just kind of you know doing a good job and doing right by your community and a lot of these local positions that we're discussing I mean, this is probably heresy for me to say, but a lot of local Republicans, you know, don't do a terrible job as, you know, you know, collecting the trash or managing the sewage or whatever those kinds of things. I mean, it doesn't really take a genius or a policy want to figure those things out. But I think that in the areas where they are failing, people need to be replaced. And I think that that's kind of the main focus. It's not just about knee-trick partisanship, it's also about, you know making these communities as livable as possible for as long as possible
0: i mean I, I guess maybe here's a where we are in uh florence county south carolina is a very particular case especially with the sheriff's department because our last sheriff got on a uh, john oliver for how <coughs> corrupt he was oh i heard about this <laughs> <laughs> um i don't remember all the details to go over uh it's a mix of like a mix of rehab using the are co- using the sheriff's sirens to like get in traffic or go through traffic faster if you want to learn more watch the john oliver episode on it um but that's not something we need to go over in this episode um so earlier you mentioned uh your travels on the or your tour of the west coast i guess is the best way to put it Mm -hmm. um so would you like to explain like the travels you've been doing over the six last six months like purpose where'd you go absolutely
1: so um Since January 1st, I've traveled about 36,000 miles, and I've been to, I think, 31 or 32 states. It's Actually, before we set up, I decided to put my little William Jennings Bryan poster behind me, because Bryan, in 1896, decided he was going to run a campaign where he was going to go from small town to small town to small town, talking to people. And he was outraised by William McKinley, something like 16 to 1, who didn't even campaign. And while he did ultimately lose, instead of getting blown out like Democrats had in the couple decades preceding this, I mean, going after the Civil War, um, he only lost by a couple points because he actually went out there. And he's considered by many historians to be sort of like the first campaigner because of that. So I'm kind of, you know, going in that mold, going from small town to small town to small town, talking to people, seeing what matters, all that stuff. <clears throat> so I didn't actually go to the West Coast this time, but I did go as far west as Utah, Arizona, and Idaho and talk with a lot of people. So. Um, I think, really, at this stage, it's about sort of gathering information. A lot of people who are sort of respected minds in the political world often lack on-the-ground firsthand knowledge, and obviously, you know, they have other things to do, so it's not like they can do these things, necessarily, but I think, given my station in life and my age, I'm going to be 20 in two weeks, um, I may as well get out there and learn as much as I can, so that's my goal for major this year. So <laughs> <coughs> So what kind of people? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, and as you can see from my little cough here, I drove from Arizona to Montana in one day. That's us, 90 in the sun to a snowstorm. So I've been coughing for the last week. It's been beautiful.
2: Oh, yeah. So what kind of people were you talking to? Were you looking for local politicians or where were you going to meet like uh, the local people?
1: So this time around, I had a couple friends with me, so I didn't do as much as I would like to. But if I'm alone or I have some other, like, politically-minded friends with me. What I'll do is I'll take Google Maps, and I'll turn the little highway setting off, and I'll just kind of take back roads wherever I go. And, you know, if I see a little gas station or a diner, or I usually avoid bars just because, I don't know.
2: You're going to be a little drunk, not a
1: (laughs) –
2: Yeah, alcohol
1: is the real-life truth serum, but, like, at the same time, I don't want to deal with drunk people. But, you know, at the same time. You know, I just stop in these little like community watering holes and I see what I can learn. You know, I just kind of go in there, see what's up. <clears throat> I think that's the baseline. Now, often I do meet with, you know, local politicians or local democratic progressive groups, but most of the time it's just regular people because I have noticed that oftentimes between sort of like the local democratic enclave of some of these red rural counties and the people of these counties, there is often a gap in terms of priorities, values, whatever. Usually it's priorities, but you know, that's why it's good to reach the people instead of, you know, the political class. Although obviously both are very important.
2: And uh, what kind of things were you asking these people that you'd meet?
1: Usually I just ask them the basic questions. You know, what, what's, what makes your community tick? You know, <clears throat> why are things the way they are? Little things like that. And I've noticed that a lot of people are pretty willing to talk to me about things just because nobody asks
2: yeah I, I found that too especially like like real people like when I go and talk to my mom uh and like my stepdad they're very like wanting to talk about the world and what's going on because I think they are a bit isolated in their little uh bubbles and so it's not but, just the
1: isolation of oh,
2: oh yeah and they're and they're ready to talk if if, if someone gives them an ear
1: Exactly. And I think that's kind of one of the main roles of URD. Obviously, that's not like a, a tangible policy goal or even a position. I think that, um, and excuse the platitude here, but I think we need to sort of restore hope in these communities. You know, there's a lot of despair, I see. A lot of people feel like things are not really going their way and they're never going to go again. I think that's a reason why Donald Trump is so successful over the last few years <coughs> in these communities.
2: And also, I think a lot of these communities are getting pumped with despair almost with uh, the liberal agenda taking over, you know, that whole narrative. And so it's like there's real world problems and they often seem distracted from tangible problems and focused on strange things like they're teaching about trans kids in schools or the trans agenda, you know, all this type of stuff.
1: For sure. I'm actually going to jump on the trans kids thing for a second. Now, obviously, that's not a major issue. Uh, in the broad sort of kitchen table issues, it's not healthcare, it's yeah. not any of those things, but it's still worth talking about because obviously we're in pride month now. Everybody agree, uh, everyone deserves to be treated with the respect and dignity that all Americans uh, <clears throat> should be given. But the thing is, I was in Arkansas when they were debating that bill, which the Republican governor vetoed because he thought it was a breach of personal liberty or something like that. And the thing is, like. I I don't want to sound crass, but most of the people in this small Arkansas town—I think I was in Little River or Miller County, way in the southwest corner—these people didn't care enough about trans people to even like discriminate against them. It doesn't even register on them. It's like, yeah, our state legislature is doing that, but like, you know, it didn't seem like (coughs) most people particularly cared. No, did, but like, it wasn't even like a factor in their lives. I think that something that happens because also with the internet and a few things like that media is kind of creating a bit of a delta it's not just one pipeline of media anymore it's no longer just the big three you have all these little alternative i mean heck i'm talking on a podcast right now you have all these little alternative modes of getting your media your information or whatever so if you're in this isolated pocket of the country you know it's very easy to be pumped whatever
2: so why do you think the local legislators are are so concerned with like uh abortion bills and trans bills when like i mean even even like the republican people i talk to are getting more relaxed on even abortion but it seems to be such a big thing with the legislators but not the people so much
1: yeah i think um if we're being honest with you i think abortion is an issue that that one's never going to really go away honestly i think i'm going to kind of leave that the side go back to the trans one because I think the main issue is that there is a pocket of society that does care about trans people in a negative way, uh, that does care about gay people in a negative way. And I think that these people often do have a little bit more power, a little bit more capital on their side. I mean, The religious right in itself is a relatively small political organism in itself, but it has very long arms because of its access to capital and access to power. So a lot of these bills, which quite frankly, most people don't really care about, get through or get airtime because, you know, each of these little state legislators is representing somebody, but maybe it's not all the people in there. And
2: so like there's maybe like a special interest group that's uh, particularly forcing these uh, bills through?
1: Uh, You could say that, yes. I think it's not just like a group. I think it's almost too big to be a group. It's almost like a group.
2: Okay. I think yeah, it appeals but
1: that demographic does not it does not constitute a majority of these people. It's oh, yeah, more yeah, like yeah. a very yeah. very loud aggressive minority.
0: I think it it's <laughs> kind of, like you were saying it's like not the, the bottom tier that re, the bottom tier like economically that cares about these issues. Uh I guess the closest way that I could explain like what group is forming like this anti-trans like anti-abortion wave I this could be totally wrong but I feel like it's coming out of suburbia honestly. <clears throat> Not, like, a rural area or the urban area, just kind of, like, the people that want to, like, imagine it's still the 50s live in their yeah, houses. I would
2: I would assume that, too, because that kind of was the demographic of, like, the anti-LGBT stuff in the 80s where they were trying to make the average, like, suburban woman scared of bi men because they were going to bring AIDS from the gay community into their homes and shit like that. And so, definitely, I do think it is more middle class people that are being, like, attacked with, like, these scary messages of what gay people are going to do to you (laughs) much more so than yeah,
1: That's (laughs) definitely true in some regard, because you have to consider the fact, now this is more of a Northern thing than a Southern thing, I think, just because of how our cities developed in the last century. But a lot of our suburbs until our lifetimes were ultra conservative because it was basically, you know, from like, maybe like the 1920s to 2000, the suburbs were by and large people who no longer want to be part of the city for various reasons which involved many dog whistles so you know i think that you're not entirely wrong now many suburbs are becoming more liberal but the point kind of stands i think that you know, a lot of these suburbs do have cons- like a conservative heritage almost in some way also like, um, like <laughs> if you if you look at
2: uh what's his name echo gecko on um, youtube he's talked about like uh what people get moved to the suburbs to get away from. And also like, I remember it positioned them. So since they're not in the city, they're not around poverty and they only go into city to go shopping and go to malls where people that are poor are like very shunned from, like you're not allowed to be homeless and near a mall and things like that. And so when you're in the suburbs, you're also very separated from struggle. you just have like boring suburban life, and then when you go into the city, you're experiencing very specific parts of it. I think that's a maybe an overly simplified explanation, but but I think they are a bit yeah, think, separated.
1: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a working class slightly, but I think by and large, with the wealthier suburbs, you're not wrong. But um, I just remember, I think. There's also this growing sense of otherness in these communities because many of these communities are shrinking, many of these communities are aging. You know, oh, yeah, like this alternative kind of media going into it that oftentimes can be a bit harmful. But it's kind of interesting because there's this developing sense of otherness, <clears throat> not just towards the LGBT people or whatever, but also towards Democrats as a whole, liberals, whatever. Because I remember this is one I always talk about. I was in, I think, Grant Parish, Louisiana, maybe Wynn, I don't remember. Uh, the Boonies in Northern Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And I was at this little gas station diner combo thingy. And uh, I was talking to this guy, who's was probably about uh, upper 50s, early 60s. And he was a QAnon or pretty damn close. And, um, you know, he was talking about how, you know, the paper mill in his community was not doing so hot. And a lot of the young people were going away because they didn't want to work in some mill, even though there were at least a few jobs there for people if they wanted, but nobody wanted to work in those conditions. So they, they left and I had a very nice conversation about how he was scared, how we felt people like President Trump were saving them and things like that. And I really got into his head and it was a nice conversation. And I don't know, maybe 10 minutes in I had to go. So I'm walking out and as I'm at the door, I can of turn back and this is a very small place mind you, so I can do this. I turned back, oh, by the way, I'm a Democrat. That guy's facial expression as a result, it was just, I don't know. <clears throat> he was kind of breaking a little bit because he just spent the last 10, 12 minutes reinforcing and reinforcing in his head that, you know, this guy, Joe, he may not be from here, but he gets what I'm talking about. He's listening. He's a reasonable guy. Yeah. How the hell is he a- I think that's what we got to do because a lot of people are just like, they don't understand that, you know, I may be a liberal or progressive or whatever you want to call me, but like, I'm still from your community. I still have those communities' values at heart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is kind of what you're saying. There is like this disconnect between the, the, the this feeling that Democrats are like these evil woke agenda, trying to hurt the rural man. Um, there's that narrative that goes on and so my next question is gonna to have to be like, I, I'm really curious what more specific issues these people care about, because whenever mm-hmm. I talk to like people around here that are more <coughs> right leaning, it, it it's it's rarely policy or particular things they're concerned about. and it's more these like these grander narratives of less government is good because government's corrupt and stuff like that. But like, but Trump is going to save us. He's not the corrupt government, even when he is corrupt. And the corruption is actually to fight against the corruption in the Democrats. It's like these really, really like deep layered narratives, much more so than specific policy. And so I'm curious what, what people were talking to you about while you were out there.
1: So I get that quite a bit as well. But I think that that is in many ways, sort of a rationalization of much more direct issues like economic instability and all that stuff. I think that with regard to that, I think we can reach a lot of these people. The difference is, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every, I think, yeah, basically every girl I've dated the last three or four years has said that I sound and look like a Republican i think that i told cameron that in the DMs before we started oh yeah
0: oh yeah this this is the funniest part because i thought you were talking about like the psychology of these people um and like you learned how they interact and stuff which you you definitely did but then you go go on and it's like yeah i can trick these
1: people into thinking i'm a republican and i was just like just started laughing i mean (laughs) but my point is in saying that is that you know we need and this is not a dog whistle by the way i know what i'm going to say sounds like one we need people who sort of fit the bill of their community and their values i'll give you an example we're working with a lieutenant governor candidate in virginia named sam rasul and he represents an area in southwest virginia by roanoke and he's a palestinian muslim so obviously you can see there's a bit of a you would connect there but he is Totally awesome and he actually told me once that you know voting is not an intellectual act it's an emotional act which i totally agree on which is something we need to tackle but you know he keeps winning in his district because the people out there understand that he gets them and they respect it and he keeps going
2: yeah and that does remind me i'm sorry that does remind me of um how a lot of republican ads are more based around uh, trying to make you feel like they're one of you, you know, like, what, I don't remember what state it was in. I saw an ad recently that was like this guy, he lives in a mega mansion, but he's like, the ad starts with him walking out of like a small family home on like a couple acres out in the middle of nowhere. And like the whole ad is just built around showing this lifestyle that is supposed to be like, feel like it's of the community.
1: Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I've said this before, and I've probably ripped this quote from somebody, but I often say on to my people, you know, Democrats they aim for people's heads, and Republicans aim for their gut. And in times of crisis, when you don't have time to think, the gut always wins. So I think that you know we really need to just kind of repackage a lot of our messaging. And you know, I've said this on I've done three hundred town halls or so since the inception of the group. <coughs> I think my ideas are pretty good, but I am far from a universal messenger. We need people who can fit these ideas into their own package, into their communities, and that's how we can take back a lot of these communities. And I'm not saying it's easy because you need to find those right people. Another example in Virginia is a state delegate named Chris Hurst. He is a former television news reporter whose uh, girlfriend was tragically killed on camera a few years ago. It was a news story back in like 2015. And he ran in a conservative Southwest Virginia district on gun control, clean energy, and this is coal country, mind you, and LGBT rights. And he has won reelection, I think, three or four times to this point. Now, you would think, what the hell? How's he doing it? It's because the people on the street see him and they're like, you know what? That's my guy. He represents our values and our community. I may not always agree with him, but I trusted his judgment. I mean, that's how people like Manchin and Tester stay in the Senate. And we need a lot more of that.
2: Yeah, it's almost like if you're the guy that everyone sees out at the diner, you know, on Saturday nights, they're more likely to vote for you than some rich asshole that they may agree with more. It is more of like, he's me. um, And I think that's, uh, I don't... That's, that's going to be a hard thing to tackle, I think, because I think that is like a lot of what Republicans attack when it comes to Democrats is, they, is they're trying to push that they're the coastal elites that don't understand the people. And yet it's the same, like Republicans are the same way, like they don't really get the average working class man, but they've convinced working class people that they do. And so is it more that we need to focus on being more like putting forward more working class like um um politicians or like is it convincing or what what, what's the what's the move from here
1: yeah i don't really i I think this one can't really be answered with one particular answer just because of how fast this country is yeah but what i will say is that you know politics is kind of this thing where with i would say 98 percent of politicians you know A lot of them may have humble backgrounds and they're proud to have risen up the ranks. Like once you get up there, I mean, a member of Congress makes nearly $200,000 a year. They get like a million dollars for office expenses. And the pension is like 140 a year. So obviously that's not really working class in terms of how much money you're making. So I think when it comes to that, we need to have more people who are in touch with those roots, with those kind of, values, because obviously, you know, you can't really call somebody who makes that much money working class anymore. But I think you can, you know, sort of keep those values. I think that's why people like Bernie Sanders, or for that matter, Joe Manchin, are able to connect with people in their respective areas, because they know that, you know, agree with him or not, he did come up from very humble beginnings and was able to rise that rank. I do think the other area is kind of like community trust, because it's not just about the working class it's also about you know hey there's this you know local family doctor in the community that everyone trusts everyone likes everyone goes to him so you know he is a trusted figure in the community maybe run something like that i think that's the other alternative because you know i think the main issue or one of the main issues is just kind of community trust and obviously when it comes to the culture war Liberals, Democrats, I don't think we can really crack the nut that it is like abortion or even LGBTs or guns. I'm actually pretty pro-gun for a Democrat, but my point is that these are issues I don't really think can be won directly as a result of kind of taking them head on just because of how guttural they are and how people go with their guts on. It's not really like a, it's almost like arguing arguing from faith. You know, You can't really get somebody off that rock with facts and reason, but- um, I do think that we can circumvent those issues by getting more people in there that are sort of trusted on other things.
2: Um, so I think wait, uh, one thing we skipped over a bit earlier is, so, so we, we understand that the, uh, these rural people, there aren't really concerned with the trans bills and stuff, but what, like, what were you hearing? Like, is there any, um, anything that you heard repeatedly, regardless of the town you went to, or is it very like town specific?
1: For sure. So I think the two things that I would go off of is that a lot of this is rooted in sort of concern about their future, either economically or socially in their communities. Like there, a lot of these communities in rural areas, bluntly spoken, are struggling. And I think a lot of people are aware of that. And they rationalize in various ways. Now, I think that one thing I will say about President Trump, I just want to make an aside here, I think one of the reasons he's so popular in these communities is not because he's a rich man, but because a lot of these people want to be a rich man. You know, a lot. I mean, obviously guys are to the left of me, and a lot of leftists talk about equality. But I think if you actually dig deep down into a lot of people, regardless of where you're from, you're going to find that they all want to be the millionaire, the billionaire themselves. And if everyone could be the billionaire, that'd be cool too. But, you know, obviously that's not... I forget what episode give them a second but uh, and then the other thing is that I think a lot of people feel like their country is going insane because obviously I personally think uh, defund the police is a very poorly packaged way to talk about that issue because it's a left wing talking point in Minneapolis but you come down to Iowa and that left wing talking point becomes our right wing cudgel and we lost horribly in Iowa in 2020, because they just beat us to death to the police. The yeah. only seat I think we the went Iowa this. Democrats held was held by a cop.
2: I think, real quick on this stuff, is um, uh, I think the left-wing people can get better at messaging with this. And also, there's this hard part of it where we have to... Because a lot of these people don't hate the ideas, they hate them because of how they've been presented to them. And so I don't really know how you fix that, though, because you're not just gonna tell some guy that just watches Fox and then hangs out with all his friends that just watch Fox, like, you're not gonna get him to by himself find the uh, reasonable, like reasonable explanation of these issues you know and we're probably not going to get a, another fairness doctrine to come back um so i don't know if there's like a way of dealing with that but i find like i don't know if like messaging really matters because it's all like especially with like if you look at the trans issues it's all just going to be mess or even critical race theory especially oh yeah it's I'm, all going to be completely straw manned when it gets to these people's ears because of who they're hearing it from
0: but yeah um, so oh, oh go ahead oh. sorry uh, See, I think I think we went over this last time, but like the way I would analyze it is that like, defund the police. Um, I guess the goal for most of it, except for like maybe like anarchists, is kind of like a goal like most people to even like moderate like conservatives might even want um, and have been talking to talking about, but it's packaged in such a short way and reductive way um, so that it can be like a punchy phrase. But in becoming the punchy phrase that might work in New York, Minneapolis, Chicago. Uh, Los Angeles and like I don't know Miami uh, that's Miami's probably not wrong um, like it makes it so much harder for everywhere else I because think, um,
1: as every- a result you know it, uh, here's what I would say it's not going to be you that convinces these people it's not going to be me I think it's going to be about those who are already in those communities who are sort of either trusted or local because like here's the thing And this applies to really every mode of thinking and not just politics. Like, if I have a notion in my mind, you know, I've talked to you guys a few times. You guys seem pretty chill. You guys are way less likely to change my mind on something than a close friend or somebody in my life who I already trust and admire. So I think that's the way we got to look at it. You know, obviously, Fox News and other media things are powerful. But at the same time, you know, we just need to get back into those very small places that we used to inhabit that we no longer necessarily do. So
2: so I think the thing with that is then, it's like, how do we find the liberals in those communities? And how do we teach them talking points and how to talk to these people? Because like, I think you mentioned it earlier, it's like how you present information to these people matters. And like... I think, like, this is, like, people may get upset at it, but, like, people shut their ears off if you try to instantly tag them with, like, the racist label. And, like, I've not even done that with my friends, and I'll I'll hear them talking. Like, they'll talk about the political issues that they care about, and they'll instantly jump to, but oh, you can't say that anymore. Everyone labels you this. Everyone labels you that. And it's almost like... It, the The issue that comes to mind is, is like right now, it's like, you know, trans and LGBT rights. Cause that's, you know, what's happening this month. Um, and so you almost have to like rephrase it as you're not, you're not like a bad person when you say the slurs, but you're a good person when you don't say them, you have to make people feel like they're being a good person for doing the right thing and they're not being average. And then a bad person if they do the bad thing. And also like, That's the only example I got off the top of my head, but it it, it is a lot about how you present the information to people.
1: Yeah, I think just kind of seeking out in this community, it's often going to be very difficult. I mean, a lot of these communities are very small and very insular. Um, That's why I go out as often as I can, because like a lot of these communities, you know, maybe not that many people have access to social media, don't use social media. You know, maybe they don't even have a cell phone in some of these areas. You have to physically go out there and talk to people. And I think that, you know, that's how you mount. Um, Now, organically, that just sort of will happen organically. But I think with messaging, you know, a lot of people, if you break down the issues, don't really care about a lot of these things as much as they do other things. I think, you know, for example, one that I often use for like transgender people is, you know, with the pronouns or whichever you want to use on that, you know, I just kind of reframe it as, you know, common courtesy, you know? if i think i messed up in either the previous time we talked or another interview it's just you know if you want to be called by you know joe joseph i'll respect that i mean it's not that big of a deal yeah
2: yeah and that's what i was getting into a little bit instead of like demonizing someone for being for doing the wrong thing which is which is very natural i understand why people want to do it you should be like hey Mm -hmm. man it's disrespectful to do the right do the right thing you know it it may if it's just good, it makes people feel nice when you respect them like that.
1: I also think that a lot of people on the left, and I and I, when I say the left, I do mean more of the leftist wing than the liberals, but a lot of woke scolds also have this problem. I think a lot of the language used often obfuscates the issue to laymen, and this applies to laymen on both sides of the political aisle because <clears throat> you know you can explain things very simply to them and they'll get it, or you can try and you know you know, reinvent words every two years and they're just going to get lost. I'm not trying to belittle anybody for... Yeah, that's something I'm thinking like about. Most people don't pay attention to the, you know, the new word for everything every year. And I think that, you know, that adds to and buttresses the otherness. You know, I can explain to somebody an issue very directly or I can use the, whatever the new infographic tells me to say. And I think that is another problem. We need to kind of create... A, like a renewal of simplicity, since a lot of these issues are a lot simpler and more direct.
2: Yeah, so. we're we're also we're in the we're in a very much an era of like common sense talking points. It's not about what's true, it's about what feels correct. And if you can give someone the con the, the common sense incorrect explanation is more convincing to people than a convoluted correct statement. And so it is about like just giving people common sense answers to stuff you know
0: I mean, also it's a like like the fact or not but when people learn or when people hear they're wrong or their worldview is challenged they're gonna defend that in some way like their mind's not gonna exactly like accept it immediately um i mean if you present it correctly it may be but like most of the time they're just gonna they're gonna like backpedal or something. I don't know uh, the exact words or not, but uh, it's gonna take a a little bit of trust.
1: With regard to that, it's just that. I think a lot of things, and I'm not gonna say this applies to necessarily everyone, but I think enough people to create a working majority are in this position that it's like you can sort of change their worldview within the scope of their worldview. So you don't have to necessarily challenge it as much. Oh, so yeah. I think a lot of the base issues at least, the ones that are much more directly affecting our society can be explained and you know relayed in a way that basically anyone can understand no matter how they look at it. And obviously there are some things that necess- we can't really change in people. But I do think with a lot of these issues, you know, it's very easy to sort of use kind of the cards they're playing with to you know do that i think that's
0: kind of how i would present it i, yeah. I find a problem with uh like how I, I go about it it's definitely not correct a lot of the time i'm willing to admit that and a bunch of other leftists to even even liberals because i i feel like in, including myself we're coming at it to try and like win something in a sense is probably the thing i need to change at how to do it we're not trying to like change the other person we're trying to like get like debate points or something like that or like do better points in this way be more complicated i don't know um how to exactly what it is and i feel like in the long run if i and others continue acting like that we're going to lose these people completely they're going to view us as completely insane
2: also this may sound counterintuitive but i think um a lot of like left-wing people focus too much on statistics when they're talking to average people because your statistics don't matter if it doesn't fit into the worldview and so you have to you have to know the issues better than you think you do so that you can re-mold it into the way they see the world if you're gonna move someone on something.
1: I mean as they say approximately 69% of uh, statistics are made up but I do think that um What I will say on that note is we need to, I don't know if necessarily, you know I'm gonna do something a little dangerous given my position. I'm gonna actually quote a leftist here because I think that it's a very salient point. Um, There's an old big Bill Haywood quote that I've never read Marx's capital, but I have the marks of capital all over my body. I think that's kind of a way that a lot of people on the far left, but also even the center need to look at these issues if we want to kind of take back the country from you know, be increasingly uh, powerful and emboldened far right. I think that you know a lot of people are sk- screwed in this country regardless of whether they voted for Biden or Trump. And I think that if we can sort of relay, yeah, you know, you're getting screwed. And do you really think because uh, this really funny thing, so Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana, who I really am not a fan of, um, put out this like manifesto thing about two months ago where he basically said that the Republican Party is the party of the working class and here's how we need to build on that, which I thought was absolutely laughable, given the fact that this dude has a net worth of like $2 million. He lives in a gigantic mansion in rural Indiana. You know? so, and uh, a lot of these people often have you know, business interests that result in you know, either jobs being exported to you know, other nations and things like that. So it's like, how can you really say that you're representing the people when you have a large stake in a company or you own a company in some cases that are exporting these jobs. It's like, you know, you can say you're representing the people all you want, but, you know, actions speak louder than words. And I think sometimes we need to sort of put those actions in front of the people a little more. You know, somebody can say some not nice things on Fox News or whatever, but, you know, words are just words. And, and
2: I, have, I have one more thing to say on this, and I do kind of want to get to that question we've been avoiding a bit. Uh, We keep getting distracted from, but it is almost you have to know people, people's lives better than themselves and like talk to them about how they would benefit from policies and stuff. Like if you want to convince someone that doesn't like unions to have a union, you got to tell them why they would why a union would help their specific job. You got to have your ears open when they're complaining about work and say and and give them examples of how a union could very specifically help them. Um, more so than just giving general infographic facts about unions.
1: I mean, we won Georgia. We won those two seats in Georgia, partially because of Trump being an idiot, but two, because Warnock and Ossoff and the Democrats, they were hammering it home. You get us, you get the $2,000 check, $2,000 check, $2,000 check. And like, that is the most, like, I wish people did that more because, I mean, obviously we, we didn't entirely deliver on that one, which was, I mean, thanks, Manchin. But my point is, is that is like the most direct way to get at people. You know, we are, we, I mean, we still are exiting a crisis, but in December we were in a crisis. And, you know, we were saying, hey, solution, solution, solution. Here's how it's gonna directly affect you. I mean, with regard to a union, it's like, hey, you wanna make more money? You want, you know, more job security, you want better healthcare, more of these things. These are all things you can get with a union. And here are some other examples of other places that have unionized look at how much better they are.
2: Yeah, and and on that, um, especially with government solutions, uh, Democrats need to make sure that these solutions help people and rebuild trust in government intervention. Because I think, especially since the Reagan era, people are very scared of the government doing anything.
1: Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with, um, I hate to go on this tangent, but I think it has a lot to do with sort of Watergate and the fall in the late '70s—it showed that you know government is not just our best and brightest, but it's also our best and brightest screwing with things behind the scenes. And I think that that is why a lot of people in a lot more of these kind of culturally conservative communities are a lot more skeptical of the government than they are than they were previously. I mean, some of the most reactionary parts of the country benefited greatly. From the TVA, and they were great, um, you know, boosters of the Tennessee Valley Authority because it gave them light and power and all this stuff. I would bet you money that if the TVA was attempted today, it would not go over as well because it would be big government intervention, even though it's absolutely necessary.
2: And before we, before we uh, get get out of here, get too close to the end, I <laughs> we've kind of uh, got, gone on a few tangents. What were some things that people brought up that they were concerned about in the communities? Maybe stuff that's like so, paralleled between multiple communities.
1: I think the main one is just kind of, well, besides kind of weird, like broad Western civilization is collapsing, things like that, which, you know, you're going to hear in a lot of these communities, but it's always about kind of the stability in the future. Most people, I would guess 70% of Americans are not politically inclined. They don't really care. What they talk about is you know, what they see in front of them, what's in their community. So I think that, you know, those are the issues that I hear about most that are tangible. You know, you can see a factory closing. You can see the school needs a bit of repairs. You can see stores closing on Main Street when a Walmart comes in. You know, these are things you can see, and these are things people will talk to you about, because honestly, they're not the most, you know, lofty policy goals. But I do think that these are issues that if we can become masters of in terms of knowledge, we can really move the needle in a lot of areas. Not every area, but we need to consider it right now. So I think that's kind of the main kind of talking points. It would be all about, you know, economic stability, kind of, this may sound weird, but almost like the life of the community.
2: Yeah, and and, um, when you talked about like big companies moving in, big companies and corporations having too much power, that's an interesting one because it's like, i do hear hints of that like when i listen to my family like one of the random one of the very few like policy driven things that like my dad said to me recently he's, he's he's like you know we just don't care about antitrust anymore it seems we don't care about breaking up the big businesses anymore and um i uh, i don't know i think democrats are too I like people believe that they're really tied in with the big businesses because they push gay rights and the big businesses have rainbows in their store. <laughs> so, so they're in oh, bed yeah. with the big businesses. Um, And I think that's a negative thing that needs to change. I think we would do, I don't know. Cause it's weird because they're anti-regulation because regulation hurts the economy, but they also want to break up big businesses. And so you have to, walk a tightrope to uh, actually make change on this. And almost we're also a bit too scared to go left wing enough to make change on this right now as well.
1: I think the way I would view it is that a lot of people, and obviously in a 10 minute conversation, you're not going to get to necessarily the heart of every single issue. But I do think that if you had enough dialogue with a lot of people, they'd probably be inclined to agree. With a lot of these things, because especially when it comes to like big business corporations. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to agree with that, but I do think a sizable portion would. Now, going into the next part of sort of the big business party, obviously both parties are very involved with yeah. Wall Street and those things. I mean, yeah. right? that's a foregone conclusion. We already all know that, but I do think that more people view them as kind of like both parties are in bed with big business. However, this guy is you with know, me on social issues and this guy is less so. I think that's kind of the one sticking point in a lot of these areas. Now, with regard to that, I think that with a lot of these people I've encountered, you know, they're not political. They don't really think about a lot of these things at length. They think more about other things. So I think that a lot of them are sort of halfway to where you're discussing, where it's like, you know, they see the problem. They see things are going on, but because they have other things going on, they talk and think about other things. So I think that if you could sort of get them to those conclusions, they're likely, I would say, more likely than not to agree with you. But it's more about just getting them there.
2: Yeah, I think it's like... You do have to definitely be the liberal in the circle of conservatives. You've got to listen to what they're talking about, what their problems are, and then you need to go home, get on your computer, research possible solutions to these problems, and then bring may, talk to them about it and then talk to local representatives about it. Um, and I think it is going to take like a lot more work on an individual level, just speaking with people. And I think a lot of like left-leaning people aren't in enough circles with people that are more right-wing. Like I have like, if you skateboard in the South, you're around libertarians, like people that are libertarian, then weirdly conservative on some social issues out of nowhere, but they just want the government out. And then I'm also in like, uh, like I'm into motocross. So all those communities are very much the same way. And so you you do kind of have to open your ears up to people that are going to say annoying shit and then try not to laugh and be mean to them.
1: Yeah, I think this takes a great deal of patience and tolerance, but I will say this. I think that one of the issues is, you know, I'll kind of give you a story to round this off because I think this is kind of where things lie. Um, We reached about 100,000 voters in Louisiana for two special elections. And we had to yell at the DNC to get them to even pay attention to one of them which was kind of stupid, but basically, you know, you get the texts <clears throat> and with our application, you can actually see people's responses if they choose to respond to your text. Mm-hmm. And this is deep red Louisiana, Louisiana's fifth congressional district. I don't think it's gone for a Democrat since Bill Clinton or possibly Jimmy Carter. It's like very conservative. Mm-hmm. But we were talking to people and you know, responses like, hey, I do not even know Democrats still existed anymore. You know, i by a Democrat or a liberal or anything like this. Since the time of Bill Clinton earlier. So I think, and you know, we swung that election, I think 12%, something like that. My point is in saying this, is that, you know, a lot of people, and this is why, you know, people like Crystal Ball and Tucker Carlson Carlson are so amicable on some issues, because like many people, they're just looking at the problem. You know, if you're just kind of halfway looking at that problem, you can be swept up by any number of people who are offering solutions or causes or whatever. I mean, I honestly believe that is why in 2016, um, there are people in places like West Virginia, Kentucky, who voted for Bernie in the primary and Trump in the general, because these people are kind of just at that point where if you explain to them why things are the way they are, What caused them all these things, and then if you could provide them solutions, especially solutions that are easily understood, they'll go with you. I think that that is kind of the key here, because you know a lot of these communities are not doing very well. Said that probably twenty times today, but you know we just need sort of—I don't know how to put this—we just need sort of be there. So when people start sort of questioning the fate of their community, why things are the way they are, then we can just kind of be there to be like, okay. Here's why it is. And these guys are selling you a bag of shit. Let's move forward. I think yeah, that's
0: not to take up too much more of your time, but to like bank off of that. Um, there's this author that writes this book called uh, capitalist realism. It's Mark Fisher. And the, the whole thing that he talks about, or one of the topics he talks about in that book is about how uh, people in Great Britain and America, in a sense, they're kind of not offered an alternative from like the now, um, like what's been going on, and I think that's a big reason Trump won in 2016. Is even because he didn't he didn't win the popular vote, but he still got enough electoral votes because he offered an alternative from what was going on. So these people were going through deindustrialization, but weren't getting the benefits of the office jobs and so on and so on. Um, mm-hmm. So they wanted the ima- imagined past of like getting reindustrialized, getting the factories back. Something that was probably is probably never going to happen instead of just continuing down the road of uh, Obama too and Hillary Clinton.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think Hillary would have been, a, <clears throat> I don't think Hillary Clinton would have been a terrible president. I think she would probably have been, you know, largely a continuation of President Obama. But I think a lot of people, especially in places like Iowa, Ohio, and, you know, parts of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, things have been going down for, you know, in some places 30, in other places up to 70, 80 years. And I think that, you know, are you guys familiar with the tragedy of the commons?
2: I am not. So the tragedy of the
1: commons, um, it's why, in my opinion, West Virginia went from a hard blue state to a hard red state in about 40 to 50 years. So the tragedy of the commons is, basically the TLDR is, if an area has a lot of natural resources, usually like one natural resource, like coal or oil or whatever, and that natural resource becomes basically misused or not used as much anymore. Obviously, coal has been in decline since the 1920s, but the government, the democratic governments in West Virginia have decided repeatedly time and time again, coal, coal, coal. They've had 90 years to diversify their economy and try and move away from it, but they didn't. They just kind of kept re-upping the status quo and sort of like Stressing themselves and straining themselves to maintain a status quo that was very rapidly and decidedly receding. I think that that is why, you know, West Virginia went from a because a lot of those people out in rural West Virginia, they may vote Republican, but if the Republicans put up a pretty economically left plan, I think a lot of them would get behind it. That's why 70% of West Virginians in one poll support a $15 minimum wage, despite Joe Manchin not. Um, I think that, you know, with this tragedy of the commons, you had all this coal you had all these resources, and because the situation is ever handled, the tragedy of the commons results in a political upheaval. So I think that with a lot of these areas, you know, with the Rust Belt, you had the same old, same old for, you know, 30, 50, 80 years, and then you have somebody, you know, maybe you don't like him, maybe he's a jackass, maybe he has these problems, but you know what, he is going to offer you something different. Maybe it's going to be good. Maybe it's going to be bad. But when you've had the same shit for fifty years, something different maybe is worth a try.
2: Yeah, and and going off that, also, I just it, I I've thought for a while that the people I know and talk to are more open to further left wing like economic policies. But it seems like the current Democratic Party is not open to doing that because they're focused on the bipartisanship and then pushing really far left social issues and is there a way that we can move the party to go for these more economically left wing policies
1: I think a lot of the people who I would say like hold intellectual weight within the democratic mainstream have a mindset that kind of like economic and social liberals and progressivism are tied together with everybody And that conservatism economic and social are tied together in everyone so a lot of people I know who are conservative, like you would say maybe an establishment democrat they think that oftentimes you know because somebody is a social conservative they're also going to be pretty conservative on the economy I think that um, you know after my travels that's pretty much false now many people are I'm not going to say that's untrue But I do think a lot more people are economically left and conservative on social issues than either party gives credit for. Now, I'm not sure how many people actually exist out there. Election Twitter would have you believe there are 20 million of them. But I will say that I think that, you know, that is an untapped resource. I'm not sure how we move it there just because a lot of these people are socially conservative. So I don't think the way politics works, especially in the United States, I don't think it's necessarily possible for the National Democratic Party to sort of roll back on social issues, especially to the extent they have. But I do think creating sort of local and regional identities is very important on that note, because, I mean, I've been people try to stick AOC and Nancy Pelosi to me sometimes. And you know what? I have never been to New York or California. How are you (laughs) saying That I'm an AOC stooge or I'm in Pelosi's pocket, when I've never even been to their damn state, let alone their cities. I also, think that the you same need
2: to people will equate those two people to you, even though those two politicians are completely different as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that the thing is, and I think once you get into that political world where you're sort of like in the kind of like the marketing intellectual side of politics. For a particular political party specifically, I think that the way you begin to view the world, and I hope this never happens for me, I will actively fight it. Is that, you know, once you get on one side of the fence, there's all this nuance. And because my uncle is actually pretty influential in the Oklahoma Republican Party. And he's always talking about the damn infighting in the Republican Party. And this was before Trump lost. So you can only assume it's probably a little worse now. So you know, he. I'd be like, you know, I'd be talking with him, you know, over a beer Memorial Day, last Memorial Day. And I'd be like, you know, the Democrat Party is very divided. You know, you guys are the United ones. And he'd say to me, no, 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 we have all the rhinos and the Freedom Caucus idiots. We're the divided ones. You're the United ones. So I think that there is this sort of like almost, I don't want to call it tunnel vision, because it's not necessarily a tunnel, but it is very restrictive viewpoint, where it's like, once you get on the other side of that fence, everything is the same. I think a lot of political minds once they attach themselves to one ideology or specifically one party, the nuance goes to the shitter. Now, obviously, I oppose the Republican Party and its principles, but I can tell you with a straight face, full honesty, that Adam Kinzinger and Fred Upton are way better than Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republicans as they may be.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) For one particular case, I was thinking of... uh... There's a guy that goes to my college that's currently um, his dad's a representative in our state house, and he's the current, uh, I believe, president of the South Carolina College Republicans, and um, he he does the news thing at the college with me, or the newspaper there, and um, we were talking, and he he comes out as like a very socially liberal guy, but he's just like economically conservative is that the reason he stick, and I learned last night talking to some friends that there was a former South Carolina College Republican uh, president that came from the local university here that was also the same thing. Um, and they both had the same problem from what I've heard is that they both, uh, or at least the guy from my college wanted to turn the Republican party into one where the social values kind of matched up with the Democratic party, but it uh, offered a economically right-wing plan. But other than that, the parties would be the same. And then they just complete, they've denied them every single time
1: I think there are people like that, and I'll have to go in a moment, but I think there are people like that in the political world, but they are, compared to the amount of people who hold those views, I think they are greatly disproportionate to actual kind of American people, at least in rural areas. Maybe suburban areas is a little more, but even still, it's greatly outpaced, their voice rather than their numbers, because you know a lot of people in the center of both parties. The campaign, you know, economically, we're conservative, you know, in the tight budget family values crap. And then, you know, the social issues, it's we're liberal, we want to be tolerant peaceful and all that stuff. I think that there are people in both parties who are like that, but not to the degree they are in the electorate. I think a lot of people, a lot of people are more mixed than that. And I think that, that viewpoint taking rise is in due part, in a good part, um, thanks to the rise of neoliberals and neoconservatives in the 1970s and 80s, because a lot of Republicans that were, you know, around in that time period in the 80s and 90s and even before that were much more economically, I mean, socially liberal than they are today. Um, people like Olympia Snow or I mean, for God's sake. Nancy Kassenbaum, senator from Kansas, was a Republican, a daughter of Al Flandon, who got pummeled by Roosevelt in 36. And she was a Republican. She was pretty conservative on a lot of things. But at the same time, she was the leading Senate advocate against apartheid during the Reagan years. I think that, you know, a lot of these kind of party shifts are going to continue happening. But I do think those people are a much smaller minority than they would like you to know.
0: Oh, I muted myself accidentally. Uh, but I guess uh, before you go, got anything to plug, or any websites that I?
1: Uh, not really. Uh, I guess you know, just check us out on <coughs> Twitter at rural underscore united or unitedruraldemocrats.org. dot uh, org. As always, thanks for having me. I love. Doing uh, thanks for coming on podcasts. I think um, you know one of the best ways to grow, not only in terms of our you know status and reach, but also in terms of the the strength of our ideas is from to be tested. And, you know, it's great to do podcasts like this where I can actually air them out and have them reviewed. So thank you very much for having me.
0: I'm glad to have you back on. Um, all the links uh, to Joe's and uh, the United Rural Democrats stuff will be in the description below. Please go check them out. Um, and thank you for tuning in to Leftology. Uh, I hope to be back in about a week or two. I think I have a guest lineup. Um, but see you later. Thank you.